Let's go before the Lord and let's jump into the Word tonight. Father, we come to You asking, please, King, please be gracious to us tonight. Please let something special happen here in this room tonight. Would Your Spirit come and hover over us in such a way that people would be changed, in such a way that people would be pushed in a direction into the things of You, in such a way where they'd see the grace and mercy and make a decision to chase holiness because they are so grateful for what You have done. Father, we would ask that Your Son would be lifted up in a special way tonight, that all would see that He is the great King. We give You this time. Please bless us. Please give me words, Father. Please help me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. That was my phone, so uh, I think that, that that's the Lord telling me turn that off. Okay, I receive that, Father, and um, it's going off. Let me in Second Kings chapter twenty tonight. If you have your Bible, Second Kings chapter twenty. Very interesting uh, chapter tonight. Man, pretty crazy what goes down. 21 verses. We will go through every one. And uh, 2 Kings chapter 20. The man we'll be looking at tonight, the main character in the story tonight, is Hezekiah. One of the great kings of Israel. Yes, he's a great king. He did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. We see, as we've been going through the kings, king after king after king, who did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. And we spoke about this. Just a simple principle last night. If you do what is evil, you will reap what is evil. You do what is good, you'll reap what is good. It's just a simple principle. It doesn't take, uh, you don't got to be a brainiac to understand this. If you obey the commands of God, you'll be blessed. The commands of God are not a burden. Just loving God and loving people. No, no. It's a blessing. It really is. And as much as our flesh does not desire to seek the things of God, um, when we do, we will be blessed. These kings that chose to bless God were blessed. And we'll see that tonight even with Hezekiah. But the ones who don't, who make these... Remember the groves we talked about? The groves is place of weird sex and orgy stuff happening in these groves and the idols being put up there. This King Hezekiah came in and broke down many of the idols that were there in the temple and many of the idols, many they cut down the groves, cut down these places, burnt them down. Love that. He made a stand for righteousness. Hezekiah, as we're picking up here in chapter 20, He has just won a great victory against the Assyrians. The Assyrian army came in to try to destroy and wipe out. And we'll just read it for you real quick here in verse 35. If you want to look back in 19, it says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of Assyrians, a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, or a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And they arose early in the morning, beholding that they're all dead corpses. Wow. So, yep, that's what just happened with Hezekiah. A high point in life. Can you imagine? (laughs) 
Again, this is crazy. 185,000 people. How many people is that anyways? Okay, look at Angel Stadium. What is it? Six, how many, Jay? 50? 58,000. 58,000 people there. Pack that stadium three times over. You have uh, three times over, and you have about the amount of people that were dropped by the angel of the Lord, by one. And so you can imagine, 185,000, can you imagine 185,000 coming up against the Riverside ends, and we try to take up our swords and like go to battle? And you go before the Lord and just like, please, Father, deliver us. Don't let the enemy run us down. And the angel of the Lord rises that night and strikes 185,000. What, kind of, what would be going on in your heart? Oh, Father, you know, like, I mean, we would be laid out before him probably for days, weeks, I would hope months. But this is what has just happened with Hezekiah. And so, hey, he's pretty excited. I mean, I can't even imagine the joy. Like, hey, our great enemy has been defeated. He's drop-kicked. He's done. We don't have to worry about it anymore. We'll pick up here in verse 1. Check what happens. Chapter 20, verse 1. And in those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. Uh-oh. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Stop there. Oh, man. What has just happened? Victory! 185,000, the Father has delivered us. Nothing to worry about. Smooth sailing from here. All of a sudden, Hezekiah becomes sick. Starts getting a little cough. Some scholars believe that this angel of the Lord that came in, maybe some kind of plague came in and wiped out these 185,000, and that Hezekiah actually caught this plague, caught this disease. And we'll see a little bit later that he actually has some kind of boil on his body. They put medicine on it. And so I'm not exactly sure why he's sick or how it's happening, but he's sick. And then the prophet Isaiah, one of his good buddies, comes to him and says, Hey, Mr. H, you're going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die. Can you imagine going from the greatest high probably in your life to the greatest low? Man, victory like never before, and then all of a sudden the bottom drops out. This is what's happening to this man right now, and he is bummed. I mean, probably thinking that he was going to, I think he ruled 26 years there, 29 years, I can't remember, as the king, but probably thinking that he was going to reign like forever now. I mean, he's... 185,000 dead. When's the last time that army's going to rise up against them? They're not going to have to fight for years. They're going to be free. Nothing to worry about. And so he's sitting there, the greatest sigh, and all of a sudden what? This low comes. And you know what? This is a principle we need to understand just in life in general, okay? Sometimes, and the majority of the time, hey, when great blessings or cool stuff goes down, it's not the enemy right around the corner just to rip you off, just to drop kick, and just to take the chair out from under you. And all of a sudden, you look at life like, man, everything was going so great. Now everything, look at this, just smashed into the ground. 
How does this happen? Everything was so wonderful. Father, what's going on? You need to understand, I've, I've said it before, I think I've said it the last two or three weeks, but the seasons of a Christian life, there will be those, hey, it's summertime, fun happening, yeah, everything's exciting. Fall starts to come around, things start to slow down, the wind starts to blow, things start to change. In wintertime, hey, things just become dead. Father, are you even there? I don't feel anything. I don't. When I seek your face, there's nothing there. I don't even know if there's a God anymore, questioning and walking around, wondering. But to know that springtime is right around the corner, family, always, always be looking for that and recognizing that newness and freshness of life will spring up once again. You stay focused. You walk with your King. And before you know it, a summertime will be back. Sometimes this takes, sometimes this is years spread out. Hey, for a year everything's exciting. For a year, things start to slow down. For a year, it's just dead. Spring is then soon around the corner. Other times, it's like days. Wake up in the morning, things will be fresh, new, and exciting. By the time I go to bed, I'm just bummed. I wake up the next day, refreshed. Going from highs to lows in life, this is the thing. You to remain steady in Christ all the days of your life. What does that mean? Hey, Christianity does not mean, walking with God does not mean, having a relationship with God, having joy in your heart, does not mean I walk around with a smile plastered to my face day and night like, hey, everything's good, hey, I'm a happy guy. No. Hey, everybody has hard times, it's all right. But what it does mean is that there's a deep joy within me that will not move me. And that, hey, the deepest, hardest thing comes to me. That my branches are deep. My roots go way deep. In such a way that, hey, when the wind starts to blow, when fall starts to come, when things get cold and the roots just want to pull up and run, that have an unspeakable joy on the inside. People look at life and say, dude, how are you going through this? How do you get through this? How'd you do it? It's Jesus and Jesus alone that will do this. It's the King Himself who pulls us through day and night. And you need to recognize that within your own life tonight. If you're going through a hard time or you know someone who is, tell them to dig deep. Stand firm. The Father will pull through. He does not know how to fail. He's never broke a promise. He does not mess up. Doesn't know how. Hezekiah goes from a high to a low. He's told he's going to die. Could you imagine? What would you do if you were told that? Are you going to die? Listen. Would it shake your faith? Would you be sitting there cool as a cucumber, just like, you know what? Yeah, I knew I was going to die before. Now I just get to go to heaven sooner. Amen. I think about people who maybe have cancer and only have a certain amount of time to live. Can you actually, can you can you put yourself in those shoes right now? Like getting that place where just like, say you knew you were going to die like two, three weeks. Like right now, like, okay, not next Monday, not the following Monday, but the following Monday after that, about 6 o'clock at night, I'll be, uh, hey, 
What does that do? Does that all of a sudden make you like, oh, oh I got to get everything right in life? Uh oh, I better start praying every single day. Uh oh, I better start walking with God real tight because, hey, I'm good. You see, I hope that it would, you just say, well, hey, just like Enoch. Been walking with God for 300 years. I'll just keep walking with Him. And when Monday comes, yeah, I just keep walking with Him when I get to heaven. That's cool. Everything is okay. Everything's in line. Everything's in order. Walking with God daily, family. It's consistency, yes. Isn't that the power of community? Having brothers and sisters around you to build you up and to encourage when hard times come. So please, recognize these things. You know, I'll approach it. I will. I just felt this real quick. I feel there are many in the church. It's hard to get involved or it's hard to meet people. It's hard. No, 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 no. Well, Josh, it's not for you because you're a loudmouth and you're obnoxious and you just hang out with all these people, you know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but, you know, I don't really like, it's hard for me to talk to people and hard for me to get it. But listen, I really believe it's the same for everyone. It really is. That if you desire to get plugged in or hooked in with a certain people or group, whatever, then make the effort. Put forth. I think of Sal. Man, I mean, for like, Gosh, when he was, you know, Sal had just been walking here close to the family for, what has it been, Sal, like six months or so? Maybe eight months? Yeah, No, 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 with the family here. Yeah. And and, and it was just like every day, just like, Josh, what are you doing, man? You, you guys going to hang out? What are you going to do? You know, just like every day, just like, you know, it's just like because he's just persistent, man. Just desires to be a part of the family. Just wants to be plugged in. Just wants to be connected. Just wants to be built up and encouraged, wants to be prayed for, wants to talk about Jesus. And that's what it takes. If you desire it, you can have it. But people find excuses. The church is too big. Or the church is too small. I don't want them to know what's going on in my life. They kind of want to get in all on the inside and stuff. I'm not down for that. There's too many people here. I can't talk to anybody. Just people running by me everywhere, you know. Community is very, very important. Because when highs and lows come, you need the brother and the sister there to carry your burden and to minister and to encourage. You've got to be able to bounce things off people. can't get inside your own mind and just get locked up. Hezekiah, faced with a huge, huge thing. Set your house in order before you die. That's what Isaiah told him, the command. Interesting. Set your house in order. This is important for especially us men who will have families one day. You are to have your house in order. If you die, what will happen? This is also important for those of you who are leading in any way. The pastor of a church, if he is to die, what will happen? Will the whole thing fall? Something is wrong. Needs to have the house in order. And in any kind of ministry, I am confident that if I died today that this study would continue on next week. Because there are brothers here who can teach. There's been times when I haven't been here and things run better than when I am here. So I praise God in that. I'm telling you, it's not because I've done something really special. I, I just figure that, hey, 
People need to learn to minister. And people need opportunity. And that's why I tried to give opportunity here on the mic. If you want to bring a Devo or you want to share a word, then I want you to. Because I want you to exercise that gift so you can figure out whether, real quick whether or not you can teach or whether or not you cannot teach. You should not be teaching anymore. Or you should be teaching, you see? These things are very important. Set the house in order. Get everything ready. You're going to die, man. Your house should be ready so that if you do, everything's taken care of. You're okay. You understand? We need this, guys. It's very important for us. Let's move on and see what happens. It says, verse 2, Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying... He turned his face to the wall. Interesting. And he prayed unto the Lord, saying... I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. He wept bitterly. We'll stop there. He falls there. He turns to the wall. And he cries out to God, Father, remember... Remember how I walked in your truth, please. And remember the pure heart that I have before you. Pure heart. What does that mean? We've ta- we talked about this two weeks ago. The difference between one who walks with God, like the Old Testament prophets, like David, like Joseph, like Daniel, like Paul. What is this pure heart? Remember? I believe it is getting to a place where you are not deliberately sinning in your life. Getting to a point where you are not saying, hey, that's sin and I'm going to do it. But getting to a place where you say, hey, maybe you go a few days, a week, a month, where you've been set apart before the Lord and you say, Father, I do not desire to sin. And hey, hey, we all do. I believe we sin and screw up every single day. Maybe things that we can't even see all the time. Our pride blinds us. We can't see it. But to be set apart in such a way where you have a pure heart before God, walking with Him daily. This is the man. This has been a really, really heavy on my heart. Okay? Really heavy. Me and one of the brothers were talking last week. I think it was last. Yeah, it was last week in the bookstore. And I, man, I wish I had my journal. But I wrote this down. For so long in my life, I had no motivation to truly be righteous, holy, set apart. Okay? I'm telling you this. Even from just last week, like my eyes starting to be opened. Because this is the way I always looked at it. Aren't I righteous and holy in God's eyes? Yeah. Yes, you are. Every single one. The blood of Christ has made you holy in God's eyes. Huh? So then why do I have to live a holy... What is the purpose? Well, if you love me, you obey my commands. That's what I was always told. You would appreciate what God has done for you by making you holy before Him by His blood and you would want to live for Him. But something else came to me last last week and it's this. That God cannot use a person who is not set apart for Him. God cannot work in a person's life as much as He desires with one that does not walk in His commands. Now what does that mean? Listen, this is what it means. God has used me, but I feel like I've missed out on so many things because I've walked in sin for so many years. And a brother was sharing with me this place of how much God can use you. It's like a vision that one of the brothers saw. I think I shared it with you guys before. I'll share it again, though. 
talking about a pipe that God would blow into you in, in, in His power or Him using you. How much He can blow in? How much can He blow? That's the purpose. That's I mean, I'm sorry, that's... That's what happens. That's how God uses you. It depends on how much He can blow into this pipe. Now, why am I saying that? Because each pipe is covered to a certain place. And, this, and as much as it's covered is how much sin is in the life. He, a one who comes to know Christ, won't continue to walk in sin. No, absolutely not. But one who still sins and messes up here and there. And it's almost like if there's sin in the life, say, say you're like struggling with sin and you're trying to walk with God. You're like, but you keep falling back into it. It's almost like the pipe is halfway open and when God blows into it, only half the power comes through. Only half of His uses can really... He can't move through a person. I'm sure this illustration, I'm sure, falls apart in many places. But I think you understand what I'm saying. And this verse lines up. Listen, God says, My ear isn't dull that I can't hear you, nor is my hand short that I cannot reach you. But it is your sin. It is your sin. It is your sin. It is your sin that separates us. And I feel this many times when I sin against God. Listen, guys, stay with me. When I sin against God, this is what happens. It's not that God has ran from me. Oh, no. His hand has been extended the whole time. It is I have ran from Him. I have gone in sin. And God cannot use me. I, I, I have disconnected myself from Him. And then how many days will I go before I repent and come back to God? And say, Father, I've sinned. I've messed up. Please, please restore me. Please renew me. Please keep me close to You. And the time goes in and God cannot use me because of what I have done. It's not that his hand is short. No, he's got his hand stretched. His ear is hearkened unto you. But it is your sin and it is mine too. And this has brought a new level of motivation into my life to now do what? Live holy, righteous, not only because of what he's done, not only because he is worthy of it, but man, because I see that it stops God from receiving the greatest glory He can in my life. Because it is my sin that stops everything. It's really opened my eyes to start to try to live for God in a different way. Hey, I want to have that pure heart before Him. Remember the three hearts. There's one who's wicked that is completely turned from God. There's one that the Spirit comes in but struggles with sin daily. And there is one that is set apart for Him that has a pure heart before Him that walks with God and is pure before Him. Hey, no one's perfect. But man, I believe people who actually, yes, do not deliberately sin for days, weeks, months, maybe even years at a time. What kind of, what can God do with a person that is set apart like that? Do you understand? And that's why it's so important and that's why I believe that God used Hezekiah in such a way that He did. This man, it says that he had a pure heart Pure heart before God. David, pure heart. David, we got one of his recordings. He really messed up big time. But I believe David was one that walked with God all the time, just desiring him, seeking his face, close to him, the man after God's heart. Joseph, you see, no sin. The one big moment, opportunity for him to fall, which probably any guy in the world would fall, he chose to run. Amazing. Daniel. Set apart, seeking the face of God daily, three times a day. Amazing. No sin recorded. A guy like Samson, who struggled with sin, 
power of God was upon him. Hey, Hebrews chapter 11 said, Samson, there he is in the hall of faith. What is he doing in there? How did he make it? God tried to use him, gave him great strength and opportunity, but guess what? One day the Spirit was not with him anymore. Came off, he didn't have the power anymore. The pipe was closed. God cannot blow in it anymore. We must have hearts set apart. They're perfect, and God will use you in amazing and amazing and amazing ways. He wept sore. He was, man, so bummed. He's going to die. Verse 4, And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone, out into the middle of the court, that the word of the Lord came into him, saying, Love that. He's probably walking outside. He's about to leave. The word of the Lord comes. It's like walking out. Oh, man. It's a bummer. That's all I told Hezekiah, my buddy, man. I just had to tell him what the Lord said. Hey, you're sick and you're going to die. Get your house ready. He's walking outside, getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden what? The Lord speaks to him. He says, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto your days fifteen years. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Wow. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. He runs back to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, my, my friend, listen, it's okay. God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. You're going to live 15 more years, man. Can you imagine? You know those times? This used to happen to me all the time with my car. Okay, those of you who don't know, yeah, before I had the Rover, right, I drove beaters, man. Okay, we got like... We got the 89 Honda Accord beater, okay? This thing is like, hand me down like four times, all right? And this thing, I got it for free dollars. Yeah, free. Drove that thing into the ground till it like sounded like a lawnmower. Then no more. Then, next car, we got the 78, 79 Lincoln Continental. The biggest car like ever made, okay? This thing's a tank. Those of you who rode in it, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, I mean, you could fit eight people in there comfortably, okay? I mean, this thing was bad. Only two, only two, yeah. Two rows in that car. It was a mobster car, okay? We fit five people in the trunk, I think. It was like, awesome. Kev, I think you were one of them. No, I'm just, I'm just sorry. Kev remembers the car, though. But anyways, and then we had the 91 Toyota Corolla little beater coupe. And I tried to, decided to do something crazy. I put an exhaust on the... I mounted it... No. I mounted this thing under the car. Like, not... Okay, you're supposed to mount them on the back. I mounted it directly under the car. Because it just sounds way louder. <laughs> All right? And it was so loud. I mean, you could hear me from like a mile away, huh, Robert? Like, it was like louder than any... Like those... You know, those like rice burners, like cool guys, like roll up next to me. It was like, uh-uh, you ain't got nothing on me. It's like, wow! You know, it was just like so loud, but it was annoying. And it rattled the inside of my car, okay? Like, I'm telling you, like, the mirror would rattle. And all the nuts and bolts started to come loose on the car because of this thing. I'm dead serious. Stuff started to fall off. We had lots of problems with it. Anyways, 
these three cars all given to me for free. And I'm telling you, adventure after adventure I would have of being all stoked and just like, I'm cruising, all right, we're getting ready to go do this. And all of a sudden, the thing would just break down. I'd just be like, oh, Father, please. You know? But I would get to a point, this would happen. I'd start working on the car, trying to figure out what's going on. And Lord would just be like, are you done? Like, when are you going to be done? You know, like, and I would keep thinking, like, okay, I think of something else, you know, before I pray. Like, I'm, I am just try this, try this, try this. I always come to end, the end of the road. Every time. I remember one time I was over there, RCC. Uh, my car just broke down. It had been left there for two nights because I couldn't get it running. And so I came back the third day, and I'm sitting there trying to work on this thing. And I, like, started it, like, a few times. I'm like, uh and the Lord's like, why don't you just ask me? And I'm just like, oh, okay, let me just try a couple more times. So why don't you ask? No, no. Okay, I just got to try because, you know, those times of coincidence, like you pray and then things happen. So this might, you know, be the opportunity where it's just going to start over, maybe. And then I'm going to pray and then it's going to start over. So I need to try it two more times, you know. So I'm like sitting there trying to... And then I sit there and I'm like, fine, you know, like... I'm at the end of my road. I'm pretty much dead. You know, I don't have any more years to live. Would you just... Please, please help me. And then doubt, 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 doubt. And I'm sitting there like, what? The thing turns over. I remember one time I got out of the car and I did like an all you can. Like, I don't know if you remember like Ken and Ryu back in the day. Street Fighter, that video game. I did one of these like right there. Like, all you can, you know. (laughs) And this woman was walking by pushing her baby in the stroller. And she's like, what's going on, you know. But it was like the greatest joy filled, man. It was one of the some of the greatest moments. You, you could never understand, you know, you weren't there. But you know those times like when hey the lowest of the low. I would get so frustrated, like, Father, why can't I just have an okay car like everybody else and just be able to drive from one place to the other without breaking down? And the Lord taught me so much through that. And he delivered me, I mean, Hundreds of times, probably. I don't know how many times I ran into gas. Robert would come and pick me. I mean, crazy. You bring it before the Lord. Always. This is a reminder, I know. But you know what? Bring it before the Lord before you do anything else. Stop trying to turn the key, okay? Stop trying to figure it out. Just bring it before the Father and say, Lord, man, I'm helpless. I ain't got nothing. No more years. No more lives. I'm, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. The Father cannot help you until you're at a place of helplessness. He cannot deliver you until you cannot be delivered. That's what it takes. You've got to be backed up against the Red Sea. And that's what the Father is looking for when a man comes before Him in prayer. One who is broken. And that is what we need to be. Many of our prayers are worthless and a waste of time. Because we have not been broke. We are not at a place of truly coming before the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? We just come before it's like, Hey, Father, hey, uh, just help me with this. Please, come on right now. I need this. No, you don't. I heard a pastor a couple weeks saying, I wrote this in my journal just last week, that if you have a problem in your life, you were to go. You were to go to God and sit before Him until your problem is dealt with in your heart where you have peace, where you can sit there and say, okay, everything's cool, I'm all right. The pastor was saying that he would read sometimes through the Psalms and he would keep reading and keep reading and keep reading until what? 
until he saw a picture of himself in the Psalms and he saw himself delivered. And then he would have peace and he'd say, okay, I'm good. You know what happens? Christians walk around day and night with things piled up in their lives and things going on. We just kind of push it down like, hey, the Lord's going to work it out. Everything's okay. But then these little things, just little things here and there. And you don't go and sit before the Lord about these things one at a time. Hey, some things you can sit before God seriously. Sit before God for five minutes and the Father will heal that and work that problem out. Other times what happens? Maybe it takes an hour you need to just sit before Him and work it out and talk it over and Father what? And then when you are delivered, you can move on and move forward in your walk. But if you don't do this, things are just going to pile up. Things are just going to pile up. And that's a real relationship with God. It's like I was talking to Robert about this and his relationship with his wife. There cannot go days where things are uneasy in the house. If something's a little uneasy, then it's like, okay, we've got to sit down and we've got to talk about this and we've got to work this out. We've got to make everything right so we can move forward. And so too, this is what we must do with the Father. We must sit down until our hearts are aligned with His and readied. And then we can move forward. And then we will have peace. And then we will be delivered. Amen? We've got to do this. This is important. Apply it to your life. Fifteen years are added. And then verse 7, and Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Interesting. Take a lump of figs. Figs? Some kind of medicine. And, that, and lay it on the boil? Man, it almost makes me want to go and get a fig next time I get a boil or something. You know, it's just like, you know, I got somebody has a boil. So I know. Fig, you know, like you need fig, you know, let me rub that on you and see what happens. Like, what are you doing? Can you imagine like rubbing a fig on somebody's forehead or something? You know, it's just like, I wonder. Robert. <laughs> we got a new product. Health insurance. You don't need health Figs, figs. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, take a lump of figs, and he took it and laid it upon the boil, and he recovered. Verse 8, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign of the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? So he says, Hey, what is the sign that I'm going to get? What's the sign that's going to show me that I'm going to live for another 15 years? What's going to happen? And Isaiah says here in verse 9, The sign is this, The sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that you have spoken. Shall the shadow go forth ten degrees, or go back ten degrees? Of course not. It's a, it's, it's a question, I'm sorry. In verse 10, And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees, nay, but let the shadow return backward ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought back the shadow ten degrees backwards, by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Crazy. Hezekiah, remember, about to die, sitting there, cries out to God, gets on his face and cries out in desperation, Father, deliver me! Deliver me! Father's like, okay, I'll give you 15 years. And then he turns to to Isaiah the prophet and says, okay, how will I know? What is the sign? How will I know I'm going to live for another 15 years? All right. What, do you need a sign? Okay, fine. We'll give you a sign. He says, on the sundial, that's how they told time. That was their clock back in the day, the sundial. If you've never seen one, 
the way it works is like this uh it's a big circle i mean it's and it's flat and it has marks like the hand of a clock all the way around and what happens is with the sun this thing creates a shadow and the shadow will move all the way around the clock so that you can tell what time it is during the day you set this thing up and you kind of align it with the sun and so they have a dial sitting there and he says does the shadow move back and forth does that ever happen like would it ever move back 10 degrees or forward of course the answer is no who could ever do that he says god will do that that will be your sign the shadow will move back 10 degrees what does 10 degrees mean it's about 45 minutes it will move back 45 minutes you'll see it so it was like if we were sitting here right now and I'm like check this out you need a sign that god is real that clock is going to move back 45 minutes right now it's just like you know just moved around you and you guys are like oh my gosh it's crazy well, that's what he needed. He needed a sign, and so it happened right there. Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 degrees. Now, many people ask, I, I, you know what, I don't think that it's a bad thing to ask God to show you whether or not something is okay, wrong, yes or no, Father, give me a sign, show me. A lot of people say it's testing God. But you know what? You see these guys. You see the fleece laid down. You see these like questions sometimes in desperation. People are asking and crying out. And you know what? God chooses to do it sometimes. And sometimes He doesn't. It's like, Father, um, let this phone levitate if you're real. Well, I guess He's not real. You know, it's like, come on, man. You know, like some things, people are. It's ridiculous. But I believe there are times in life. Yeah, it's like, Father, maybe you know. Close this door. Open this one for me. Show me. I need to know. I don't know what to do. I just want to do what you want. I want your will. All of a sudden, that door closes. It's like, yes. I remember right before I was about to go into Mexico with John Corson, I I didn't really have the blessing of a lot of people to go out there. And one person in particular that I really desired the blessing from, and I went and decided, and I was weeping, because I was so bummed, because I was so excited about going and doing this. And I cried out to God there in this bathroom. I just, Father, I thought you wanted me to go. you got to show me now. I'm, I'm going to have to rebel against this guy. You know, It's like, do I need to go or not? I walk upstairs, and on my phone, there is my sign. It's one of my friends telling me that God had told him and his wife to pay for my entire trip and that I need to go. I'm listening to the message, and I'm just like, and all of a sudden, I would another all you can. It was crazy, man. I just like it. It was the sweetest blessing. And it's okay to ask the Lord those things. I believe it is, okay. But I, I be very careful in the way that you ask and what you're doing. It's like Father, make the sun stop for three days, and I'll know it's you. <laughs> I think you need to look at your situation and pray accordingly, okay. I don't, it's not that God won't do the crazy. I believe He will, he, and He can. My buddy Reynolds was in a coffee shop out in Georgia, and a guy was challenging him whether or not Jesus was God. And Reynolds, he looked at him and said, why don't you ask Jesus yourself if He's God? And then he was like, what did I just tell him to do? And the guy's like, all right. He's like, all right, let's do it right now. He gets on his knees. They go outside of the coffee shop and they get on their knees, three guys. And so Reynolds is like, well, ask him. He's sitting there. He's like, Jesus, are you God? 
There's just silence. And Reynolds looks over. He's like, what did he say? He's like, yeah, man, he's God. I knew it already. I just didn't want to. I was just being prideful, you know. And Reynolds looks like, amen. And the guy, he ended up accepting Jesus Christ right there on the sidewalk. It's okay to step out and watch your God do amazing things. He will pull through. Just be very careful in the way that you bring it to Him. Don't mock God. Don't act like you have control of Him. He is the one in control, and you need to align yourself with Him and see how He might reveal to you the things that He desires to do. Let's move on to verse 12. At that time, we've got a long name here, Barodak, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of the precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices, precious ointment and all the house of armor, and all that was found in the treasures. And there was nothing in the house nor in all the dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. So what happened? Hezekiah, right, remember he's sick, but he's going to live for another 15 years. And some of the kings there in Babylon hear that Hezekiah the king is sick. And so what do they do? They send him like kind of a get well card. And then Hezekiah invites them over and he shows them everything in his kingdom. Shows them everything. Shows them all the silver and gold. Just, it's like walking into your house and opening up the safe, you know, behind the picture and like, check this out, man. Check, out, check all the cash you got in there. You know, this is like my wife's most precious thing. Just showing everything in the house. That's what he does. And look what happens in verse 14. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? Or what did they say? And from whence they... Unto see the unto thee, you saying where did they come from and who are these men? And Hezekiah said, they are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, what what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in my house, things that are in my house, and they have seen. There is nothing among the treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Stop there. So he showed him everything in the kingdom, and then Isaiah rolls up his old friend. He's like, dude, bad news. Shouldn't have been showing them all that stuff. But anyways, this is what's going to happen. Babylon's going to come in and they're going to take out, they're going to clean out your house and every single thing of your ancestors, all of the precious heirlooms and everything is going to be taken out of that place. And your sons are going to be eunuchs, are going to be servants in the house of Babylon because of what has happened. That's a heavy thing to swallow. But look at what Hezekiah does. I can't believe this. Look what he says. Look at verse 19. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. What? He said, It is good what you have said. What the Lord has said is good. And then he goes on to say, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? He's like, Look, well, I... He looks on the bright side and says, you know, I guess there'll be peace 
in my home for a while or in my days, but this is what's going to happen. But it's very interesting that when something bad went down, he chose to say that that was a good thing. Now that's the perspective of one who walks with God, I truly believe. Because when bad things go down, you can look at it and say, this is a good thing. Why? It's not good in substance or in essence, no. But it is good because of what the Lord is going to turn this for. And it's the perspective that only the Christian has. It's true. You can look at family. You, you can look into a situation and find good when no one else can. And you should always learn to do this. Okay, it's it's a technique that I believe that every leader should be able to have, and that every person who walks with God would be able to see through the thickness of this cloud and watch the sun will pull through. I think it's something that I have to do continually all the time. Like when ministering to people one-on-one, they have a hard time trying to look past it and trying to see in perspective how things will work out for good to bring hope. Like with people dying. My mother died when I was eight. I don't even remember her very much. I just have a couple memories to tell you the truth. But I do remember crying for like a week or two. Having to go to school. And just so, like, just weird heaviness. Like, just the weirdest thing. And you know what? Because of that, I've been able to minister to more people who have lost family members. It's amazing how God takes the hard times and turns them for joy and for opportunity. Because of the things that you've gone through, you can minister to people that no one will ever be able to minister to. You must recognize that in your own life. And you must use that ability to further the kingdom, okay? Don't look at your tragedies. There's two ways to look at it. I was thinking about this today. People who have messed up lives, how did they get there? It's because, yeah, bad things happen to everybody, but they chose to go the wrong way like Cain. Do you remember? Remember Cain when he killed his brother? And God says, what's going on here? And he chose to continue to run from God. He said, the Lord said something like this. Like Cain, pick up your countenance. Choose to change. Choose to change direction. Don't let your countenance fall. And it did fall. Because he chose not to turn the right direction. When hard times go in your life, you have two directions. You can either allow your countenance to fall, or you can pick it up and move in the right direction. You know, a lot of bad things happen in my life. A lot of crazy things, but nobody would ever know. And a lot of things in my brother's lives, but nobody would ever know. And I, I just look, a lot of things in my dad, my dad's life, just the hardest, man. But nobody would ever know, man. My pops, just the way he looks at life, and he's just jolly guy, just easy going, loves people, and really kind of shy and kick back, and just a nice guy. Life can destroy you, or it will make you. You'll be able to change and help and work in people's lives like never before because of the things you've gone through. Use those things. Practice that. As you're talking to someone and they're sharing something with you, be asking the Father, Father, how can I see through this situation to bring hope? When a woman is pregnant and she has a baby, she's going to have a baby, right before she goes through mass amounts of pain to have this baby, but when the baby is born, she forgets about the pain. And if you can explain to her the hope that will come, 
You're going to be holding that baby in your arms and you'll be able to look into its face. You'll be able to raise this child and love on it. To pull the person past the pain. Jesus gives this illustration. He says, you're going to face many trials and tribulation in this life, but behold, I've overcome this life, I've overcome this world. It ain't no big deal. I got it, under control. Choose to look in this perspective. Choose to find life in the hard time. Amen? Verse 20 and 21, And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned instead. And that is the end of the chapter. Hezekiah did two, well, he did some great things, but things that still last to this day. Did you know that? Right now, if you go to Israel, I love Israel. If you go to Israel, there's a place called Hezekiah's Tunnel in the Pool of Shalom. And the Gihon Springs is where this, place, this, this water flows from. But I walk, I walk through it. There's a tunnel that is 1,777 feet. The Hezekiah dug him and his men, and it is still there in Israel. Why? To bring water into the city when the Assyrians were attacking. And the Pool of Siloam is still there where this water feeds. And me and some of the brothers, man, we walk through this tunnel, and there is water flowing up to your waist in this tunnel, and it's all like smashed down here. You walk for like 45 minutes in this tunnel, just pitch black. We've got our little, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> little lights on. We're just like cruising through this tunnel. It's Hezekiah's tunnel. It's the one that he did, the guy we just read about. And they chipped. The way they did it is they chipped from side to side. I don't know how they did it, but I guess they say somehow with sound. They were listening on both sides, and they would just keep chipping away and keep chipping away and listening and listening for the other guy to chip and then chip in that direction. Chip. This, this thing just winds all over the place, and you just chug through this water. It's cold. You're, we got video of it, too. I, got, I should have showed you guys, and it's sick. We're like all breathing hard because we're all tired of walking through this tunnel in this water. It's just the sweetest thing. If you ever go to Israel, it doesn't matter how cold it is, go through Hezekiah's tunnel. It, it still remains. The pool is there. <sighs> A great man who followed God. God gave him 15 years. God wants to use this family. He really, truly, every single one of you, He wants to use you even tonight. He is ready and willing. But it's only those who desire it. It's true. And so I would even ask for a change of direction in the hearts, man. Just to say, you know what? I'm ready to move forward in a powerful way. To be taking these things that we've talked about tonight and applying. And just simply, just, hey, just taking baby steps in that direction. Just moving. You don't have to be like Peter. Jumping off the cliff. I know some of you are. And that's great. But just to start to move in that direction. The key to listening to a sermon is to walk away changed every week. Can you imagine all the sermons you've listened to and if something was changed or something was altered, where we would be at? But so many we let go in one ear. We are not only be hearers of the word, but doers. How are you to do this message? Let's do this message tonight. Let's do it in a powerful way. Let's step forward.
be people on this earth who make a difference. Amen? You're more than welcome to invite friends out next week to the Agape Feast as we will celebrate Jesus. Have a party in His name. And Hezekiah was one who feared Jesus. One who looked to Him daily. One who desired the things of Him. Let's be Jesus' people. That's it. It's simple. Walking with Jesus, talking about Jesus, loving on Jesus. That's it. Let's be Jesus' people as you leave tonight. Love on one another. Encourage. Let's be ready for next week. Amen. Let me pray. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father. Thank you for the work you're doing here in this coffee shop. You're a great king. You are greater than Hezekiah. You are greater than David. You are the great king. You are greater than every great king who has ever walked this earth put together. There is no one like you. And we are so blessed that you would allow us to serve in your army. That you would allow us to be a part of your kingdom and have any part of service with you. We've committed treason. We do not deserve your blessing, nor your hand stretched out to us. And we are forever thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the work you're doing in us. Please bless these tonight, Father. The things that I've said that don't line up with you, just let them fall. Just let them not remember a lick of that. But the things, God, that you have ministered to and ingrained in the people's hearts. Let them remember tonight and sleep on it and meditate on it and wake up tomorrow morning practicing, walking in you and to you and for you. And so, Lord, we lay our lives down tonight. Maybe you come tonight, you just need to lay your life down before God and say, Lord, I just need to walk with you. I want to be close to you. Then you make a decision to do that. You make a decision within your own heart to say, Yes, Jesus. I want to follow after you all my days. I want nothing else. I'm down for you and you alone. You can make that decision within your heart. Father, help us to move forward tonight. Thank you for the work you're doing in us. Bless these people. Bless them, Father. Please bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, Austin, come up here. This is your last Tuesday night? Family. It's my sweet brother. And um, we're going to lay hands on him. Can some of the brothers come up, Sal? Mark, you want to come up? Maybe some of you guys just come up that are close here. We're just going to lay hands on him. Ron, would you come up? Robert? We need to pray for Austin, okay? He's my dear brother, and he's going to Iraq next week, I think. Don't know the exact day, but next week for sure. And, um, you know, I just want to pray that God would protect. But even more than that, that he would be able to minister to those brothers out there who need it. There's people struggling and hurting out there, and they don't have anything. Many wondering maybe why they're sitting there in Iraq, what's going on. Some doing missions and doing what they're supposed to. You know, 
there's just a lot of things going on there. I bet lots of confusion. And I believe that Austin is to be a prophet there in that land and to go and share the word and to minister to those people. We need to pray the power of God would come upon him in a special way right now. And that he would be lifted up, okay? And that a great work would go through him and that he would be strong. And so please, pray, pray with all your heart, okay? Just we got to talk to God right now. we got to really ask the Father to bless him. Father, please hear this prayer, King. I just come to you for my brother, and I just thank you for him. I thank you, Lord, that you brought him to us and the great relationships we've been able to have. And Lord, I just I ask that right now that the heavens would open up and that the Spirit would fall afresh on my brother in a powerful way. And that God, he would be a prophet in that land. And that people would hear the truth coming from his voice. And you'd give him supernatural words to speak. That you'd give him hands to touch, to heal. That you'd give him power so that he can make a difference there and walk back feeling that he had accomplished what he was to do. And I pray that you would protect him, Lord. I pray that you would send ten angels with him, please. Please, just ten, Father. Would you just put ten around him and they would walk with him until the day he gets back? And that he would see it in front of his own eyes, the supernatural. When maybe it seems as everything is to go down, but all of a sudden your power and your glory comes through in a mighty way and you protect this man. And he is... He is sanctified. He is set apart. We pray for holiness, God, that he would be able to be a man that seeks your face every single day and that God, as he fails within himself, that you would raise this man up, that you'd send also, please, Lord, one or two angels just to minister to him and to keep his heart right and just keep his heart just focused on you. And that, Lord, as he digs into the Word, this would be some of the sweetest time in his life because he would grow and experience things that he never has. It's time in the desert. He gets like Moses did, like Paul did, like Elijah. And I pray that this time in the desert would be sweet unto you. So, Father, bless your son, please. Have your hand upon him. Walk hand in hand. Do not let him go in front of you, nor behind you, but hand in hand with you. Bless him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And um, I would please ask, I believe that the Lord over the next uh, seven months, eight months, might even just uh, put it in your heart randomly to pray for Austin. Just lift it, get on your face and lift up for our brother. Amen. we got to pray for him. Okay. Um, please just pray for him, you know. Please. I'm going to be praying for him too. I think, remind me to come and bring it up here at the study so that we can pray. Austin desires to be here ministering and serving and loving on people, but God has called him there for a short period of time, and he'll be back. So we need to just pray that the Lord brings him back and that uh, he can continue ministering with us. Amen. I just feel like it's a book of Acts, man. It's like when, well, he's not Paul, but you know, it's like when Paul went away and the brothers just fall on him and kiss him and love on him and brother we missed you know it's just it's hard it's hard seeing brothers go but you know what we're all called to step out in some way or another and we got to be ready when god calls us okay to do what you are called to do to step out so this is happening and just just encourage you guys to continue to lift that up